So, Father, I pray now that in the tenderness of a moment that we would not walk too quickly to other things. If you've lost your patience and yelled at your kids this week, Jesus has forgiven that. If you've slammed a door or yelled at an employer or employee, Jesus has forgiven that. If you've walked out on your marriage, knowing that your way was right, and you've come to understand that I was wrong, pray that Jesus is walking beside you this morning. If you have had an abortion, Jesus' grace will fall on you many times over. Forgiveness times forgiveness for all eternity. We saw snow fall this week. The whiteness and the calmness covered the earth. And in the same way, our sins have been purified. And we are as white as snow, not because of what we have done, but what Christ has done for us. He came to this earth And he wasn't naive to the plight of man. He came with a full knowledge of who we are and what we are capable of. And mankind spit and mocked and crucified you. But for the joy that was set before you, you endured a cross for us. Help us to walk into that moment, not just knowing that with our heads, but feeling it in our hearts and understanding that there is full hope in all eternity. And so Jesus, wherever, you, we, wherever we are, Lord, you have us here and you want to speak to us. Our hearts are open to hear from you. In your name we pray, amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. I was going to start with a joke. Not going to anymore. <laughs> That's just the way the Lord does things. It was a good one. Well, maybe next week. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Um, okay, so January is um, a great month for new beginnings where we actually get to start a new calendar year, those kinds of things. And, um, and so this year as a church body, we wanted to start off on the right foot and uh, so the last couple of years, we've started off with this, this term called spiritual disciplines. And uh, so it's spiritual discipline. I'm popping. Am I, I'm sorry. Eric, is that my fault? It's the beard? I'll shave it. Nicole wants me to shave it anyway. I'm not touching you with that thing on your face. All right. So spiritual disciplines, um, that's where we are. Um, Spiritual discipline just very simply is the rhythm or a habit or just some kind of rhythm that we see in the life of Jesus that we actually want to become ours, all right? And so what we see in Jesus' life 
Now, whether it's his rhythm or his habit or his character, we actually want to emboss that onto our lives and say, okay, a little bit of Jesus is wearing off on me, and I'm looking a little bit more like Jesus now than I did maybe a month or a year or even five years from now. And that's what a spiritual discipline does. And so historically, those have been the disciplines of reading your Bible and meditating on it day and night, those types of things of prayer and meditation and, um, and maybe uh, journaling, those types of things. But getting into a habit or getting into a little bit of a rhythm of what Jesus has done for us. And quite simply put, is what, was, what is important to Jesus, we want to be important to us. And so if we see Jesus doing these things, or if we hear him teaching these things, what's important to Jesus needs to be important to us, okay? And so that's why we have spiritual disciplines in our life, because he was the exemplar. He was the perfect example for us. And so last week, we gave away these community Bible reading plans, and we said, we need you to read your Bibles a lot, not because it's of works, but it's because we want you in the Scriptures. We want it to feed you. And the week before that, we talked about prayer. So this week, we're going to walk into a little bit of a different uh, habit or another discipline. And this spiritual discipline is, was important to Jesus, but is not important to you and me. So the, the, the spiritual discipline that we're going to talk about this morning was very important to Jesus, and yet it's not important to you and me. It's the spiritual discipline of silence and solitude. It's the spiritual discipline of silence and solitude. So very, the definition for this is an intentional foregoing, all right, an intentional foregoing where you're walking away for both, of both community and words for a spiritual purpose. So you are foregoing the community of people and a community of words. You're walking away from both of those things for the intention of some kind of spiritual purpose. Silence and solitude are not modern words. These are not words that you and I are known for, right? Because we are known for the opposite. We're known for a lot of noise and clamor and clatter and woo-ha and, and jumping to our feet and celebration and noise. That's, those are the things that we're known for. In fact, they tell us that today is the most urban, right, the most noise-polluted generation that has ever existed on planet Earth. We are the loudest people, right? We are the loudest culture. We are the loudest world that it has ever been. We look at our big screens, at our sporting events, and they're loud, and they're amazing, and they make us feel warm and fuzzy, but they're loud, so loud that we literally can't hear the other person say, I can't hear you, you'll say at a concert. Like, I don't know what you're saying, but we're having a great time. And that's the type of thing that's around us. But if it's not just a big screen, sometimes you've got smaller screens in your house, right, that are always on. They're just always on and producing noise in our life. And if it's not the smaller screens, it's the little screens that we have in our pockets or in our purses. And they're always yelling at us, and they're, they're wanting to get our attention. And so whether it's Siri or Google or Alexa or any of these things, they want to grab our attention, and they want to shake us and help us to remember, hey, by the way, I'm here. I'm here. And so this discipline of and solitude, this, this intentional stepping away from community of people and a community of words for a spiritual purpose, we just don't 
know that kind of world. Walk around ETSU's or Milligan's campus. And you can't walk from one class to the next without earbuds in your ears. You're just full of noise. When's the last time you've been in an airport? All right, you've got the, the noise-canceling headphones, which is remarkable, great, great, great uh, title, you know, those kinds of things. We just can't do it. The fact is, I think that we're addicted to noise. We, we actually feed off noise. And we're so addicted to noise that we can't not have noise. We're, we want noise so bad that we cannot stop. Hearing noise. That was one minute. It felt like an eternity. What's the preacher going to do? <laughs> I'm the one strapped up. Y'all can't do a thing. I'm like, okay. That was, that was 60 seconds of your life. And far too many of us were far too uncomfortable with one notch on my watch. Just one little click. But for far too many of us, we were far too uncomfortable. There's got to be another way to live. And so if we look at Jesus, in your bulletin, you've got some, some passages on the back side of your, your, um, your, your bulletin. You've, you've got Luke chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, I believe. Then you've got uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 42. And then you've got Luke 6, uh, verse 12. And so they're all there. We'll talk through those. But these are three moments early in Jesus' ministry. Remember, the, a, a rhythm or a spiritual discipline needs to look a lot like Jesus. Uh, or we want to emulate Jesus. We want him to rub off on us. And here's what you need to know. What's happened in, in, in Luke's gospel so far. In chapters 1 and 2, Jesus was born. Right? John the Baptist was born, then the, all the, the prophecies and those kinds of things. But Jesus was born in chapters 1 and 2 of Luke. And then in chapter 3, John the Baptist comes onto the scene. Jesus is baptized, and then there's a, a, a list of names, right? Those kinds of things. Chapter 4 starts, and this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And so Jesus is now about 30 years old. And he started his ministry, and, and it's interesting that in chapters 4 and 5 and 6, we've just had like the beginnings of Jesus' ministry. And here, three times, in a little over two chapters, we see this rhythm. 
we see this discipline of Jesus walking away from the crowds because they were so loud. This understanding of silence and solitude is not just something that the monks invented. This is something that we see in Jesus' life. It's amazing to me that, that we, we, if, if it's happening this early in Jesus' ministry, I mean, this is early, early, early in Jesus' ministry. If it's happening this early, then we've got to pay attention. And so Jesus has voluntarily removed himself from the crowds. He's taking himself out of the public sphere. In his, he is intentionally withdrawing all by himself. You and I don't know that movement. We want more and more and more, and we crave more and more noise. Jesus saw that as very dangerous, and he did something about it. He would withdraw himself. To be a public figure, you must be a private person. To be a public person like Jesus was, you, had, you have to understand and be very comfortable with the privateness or the silence and the solitude that this world will not offer you. And you have to be intentional to take it. You see, Jesus was not the only public person. He's called you and I into public to be his ambassadors, to be a part of the body of believers, you know, to be conduits, to have the fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control, those types of things. He's asked us to be salt and light in the world. So this thing, this kingdom of God advancement is very, very public. It's a public endeavor that he's asked us to be a part of. So public that we need to understand our limits and our boundaries. This discipline of silence and solitude, as we've seen it in Jesus, is good for you and I. And we see it here three times, but we also see it in Jesus' rhythm. Right before, he feeds the 5,000. He takes a, a step away and he goes up to a hill. Before John the Baptist is beheaded, he steps, takes a step away. We see him going up to the Mount Transfiguration. And of course, his greatest work, the most public work of all, the cross of, of Christ on Calvary. We see a garden of Gethsemane where he has stepped away even from his disciples. Just a moment of silence and solitude where he prays to the Lord with, with all kinds of fervency. It's not just Jesus. We see this in Moses. Moses, 40 years in the wilderness. We see this in Paul. He spends three years away from people. We even see this in John the Baptist, who was the wild one who lived out in the wilderness. But we also see this in God himself, who worked for seven days, and on the, or six days, and then on the seventh, he rested. And so this is not a new idea, the idea that your heart and your mind and your body and your whole existence needs a little space because the world is so, so noisy. This was a regular practice for Jesus, and it should be for us as well. And so on to um, chapter 4. Um, we are not going to talk about Jesus' temptations. This is not that type of preaching. We're actually not going to call uh, talk a little bit about his preaching ministry, which is later on in chapter 4, or the call of the apostles. We're not going to talk about the text. I hope that's okay with you. But we're just going to see this rhythm of Jesus, of being very, very public and then needing to back away. Being very, very public and to back away. But it's significant in where he actually 
pulls away. So the first thing that you see here in chapter 4 is the actual temptation of Jesus. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, this is uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from uh, the Jordan and was led to the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. This is Luke 4, 1 and 2. Before his public ministry, after his baptism, the Spirit leads him into the wilderness to be all by himself. And he's there for 40 days and 40 nights. And it gives us a caveat. And he was tempted by the devil. I think it's safe to say that one reason that you and I need to step away is to be able to fight the devil, to fight Satan in the way that we need to fight. If Jesus can't even start his ministry without some kind of separation, if he wasn't able to face his greatest enemy face to face, he needed to do that in silence. He needed to do that in solitude. So do us. So do we. Satan, the devil, he's called, theologians called him the other voice. You remember in the garden where we have God's voice speaking things into existence? He speaks and things happen over and over and over and over. And then this slimy, slithering creature crawls up to Eve. And this is the first time that we've heard another outside voice. We've heard from God. We've heard from the Father. We've heard from Adam. But here is another voice, another authoritative voice that will slither up. And what does he do? He uses this other voice and he uses these other syllables to create noise, to create chaos, to create a distraction from the main thing. And here we have the other voice speaking lies. He is the father of all lies. And he's speaking and he's whispering and he's creating a distraction And he's helping us to have doubt in who God is. And he's also helping us doubt ourselves. And that's what lies do. They separate us from the truth, the truth of who we are and who God is. And he continues with one lie after another to separate us from him. So part of the reason that noise is so comfortable, right, is because, quite frankly, it is, this is the voice or this is the rhythm of the devil. I mean, he, he loves the chaos. God loves order. He loves chaos. And so noise is the devil's spiritual discipline. And if he can get us spinning, and if he can get us in a frenzy, or if he continue to whisper in our ears the things that we would believe, he has one. So the one way that Jesus is able to combat some of this whispering. And if you continue to read on to, through chapter 4, you will hear the devil continue to fight back and be like truly aggressive toward Jesus himself. The way that we can combat some of this noise, some of these lies, is through the discipline of silence and solitude. Because silence and solitude is about listening. Underneath it, you're not, we're not asking you to become a monk or, or go to some, you know, like be, in, come in, be a part of the pastorate or whatever. This is not just moving to the wilderness and living off the land. That's not what this is. Silence and solitude is all about listening. And I would say being able to decipher or know the difference between the first voice and the second. To hear God's voice versus hearing Satan's voice. 
And so one lie that he continues to tell Adam and Eve, and he even kind of, you can kind of see kind of snippets here in the temptation of Jesus, is that you are all by yourself, big guy. There's nobody that's going to take care of you. And so one reason for the noise in my life, this is just for me, I don't want to project onto you, but for me, one reason for the noise in my life is because of loneliness. I do not want to be alone. I need people around me. It's not just because I'm an extrovert. It's like I really do need people. They bring a comfort to me. And when people aren't around, I'll have a TV on. If it's not the TV, I'll have a podcast in my ears. If it's not a podcast, I'll have, have music just emanating because I just love it. I love noise. But I think underneath that is this, this cry of loneliness where I don't want to be by myself. Or to put it another way, I've talked with um, a good number of alcoholics or people who are addicted to some kind of prescription drug or otherwise. I talk to them, and we keep on pressing, and I ask why. So what is, it, what is going on in your daily rhythm? What, what, why are you using these substances? And, it says, and he or she will say, this is the one way that the, the voices in my head will be quiet. You see, we can't be left alone. We're afraid of what's up there or what's in here. Sometimes the voices in our head just won't shut up. And sometimes the noise, even the noise of substance abuse, will be the one thing that will quiet those things. So this fear of being alone will drive us to noise. The spiritual discipline of silence and solitude will solve that crisis in your heart and your mind because it moves you out of loneliness and into significance because you are in the company of just one. You're in the company of God himself, the creator of the universe, who wants to speak. Read Genesis 1 and how the creation accounts happen. He loves to speak, and he speaks things into existence. Even John 1 says that Jesus is the word, and the word became, you know, and the word was God. Jesus himself is the word. He is a chatty God. He wants to commune with us. And yet some of that gets all messed up because we're just a fear of being alone. I love that Jesus solves our solution or solves our problem with the solution that, lo, I will be with you always. I will never leave you or forsake you, Jesus says. And so one reason that you don't like silence and solitude potentially is that you're just afraid of being by yourself. Because if you're by yourself, there may be a chance that you have to look in a mirror or you'll come face to face with who you really are. And you can't accept that. But it's in silence and solitude, in the rawness and the realness of that moment, that you're going to hear the Heavenly Father speak to you, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. This is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. It's only when walking away from the noise and into the presence of God that you will actually be able to hear those things. Let's do one more. So you move on to verse 42. Jesus has started his ministry and those types of things. And we see that uh, he's been rejected in his hometown. He's healing people and those types of things. 36 and following is that he, I mean, he's just got a lot going on. So if you've got your Bibles, I'll just read from 36 and following. 
And he arose and he left a synagogue and he entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and he rebuked the fever and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve him. Verse 40. Now when the sun was setting, all right, so this is the sun was going down. When the sun was setting, all those who had, who, uh, all who, sorry, and those who had any who were sick and various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And the demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not uh, allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. So he'd been doing this, this healing ministry, all night long. Verse 42, And when it was day, and when it was day, he departed and he went to a desolate place. So coming out of a really, really hard season, we see Jesus actually stepping away. And sometimes in season, seasons of busyness or seasons of ministry, it is appropriate to step away. And then it goes on. It's not just to step away for, step in for rest's sake, but actually to step in on purpose. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other, uh, to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. And so this is a transition point of Jesus. He had been in Capernaum, which is up north. He had been in Galilee. That's his people, the country people. He liked country people a lot. And yet, when they were asked, hey, we need more of you. We've got to have more of you. Jesus says, I'm sorry, but I have to go and I've got to preach to other towns. I have to go to the towns of Judea, which is down south, or even Jerusalem, which is, those are the bunch of city folks, right? So I've got to go to other places. So in this transition of being in ministry all night long, knowing that the tr transition is he's got to leave his people, he's got to leave Galilee and go down south to Judea, he took a significant amount of time and he walked away. This is significant, that in seasons of absolute cloud and chaos and confusion and busy, even if it's the good kind of busy, if you don't stop and withdraw, you will not have the energy to keep on going. And that's what Jesus knew, that it, what his ministry was not just a ministry of healing or exercising demons. He came to share the good news with other people. His ministry was of, of teaching and preaching and correcting and gathering people. And he knew he had to be up for that part of his ministry as well. And so it's not just, to, uh, silence and solitude is not just um, a way to fight the devil, but actually to use the right kinds of words. As Jesus would put it here, to speak on purpose. For him to speak well. And to walk into Judea, a different district, he needed some time with his father. Ecclesiastes is the one that says there's a time to speak and there's a time not to speak. There's a time to keep quiet, keep silence, and a time to speak. See, most of us, we speak when we're not supposed to speak, right? We put our foot in our mouth. Or sometimes we are given an opportunity to speak and we don't say anything at all. 
This rhythm of silence and solitude will give you a, a healthier rhythm of understanding when to say something and when to withhold something. Take, for instance, Peter. Peter and James and John was taken with Jesus up to what's called the Mount of Transfiguration. And so they were up on top of the mountain, and Jesus starts glowing white. I mean, just he started, like, really glory were shown around him. Not only Jesus, but then descending out of heaven, there was Moses and Elijah, of all people, and the disciples. James, John, and Peter were like, wah, this is crazy. Jesus is glowing, and that's Moses and Elijah. This is an amazing day. But here's what's interesting. In this, this is Matthew 17, in all of this jittery energy, Peter begins to talk. Hey, Lord, hey, Lord, um, this is amazing. This is, um, I've never seen anything like this. So, Lord, would it be appropriate for me to make you a tent, Jesus? So if I can't, I'll use my hands, I'll use my words, and I'll make you a tent. And then when I'm done with yours, I'll go to Elijah, and I'll make him a tent, and then to Moses, and we'll, just, we'll do all this. So as he's having like this nervous kind of energy, like this declaration that Paul, Peter is going to make the one that's glowing a tent, don't know, but anyway... This this makes sense in Peter's mouth. As he is speaking, the Father from heaven interrupts. The scripture says, interrupts Peter as he is speaking. And he thunders down from heaven this great identity of who Jesus was. And so one good rhythm of silence and solitude is truly understanding when to speak and when not to speak. When to actually use your words and when to with, withhold them. Silence. Um, is intimately, intimately linked with trust. Because when you're not talking, you feel out of control. You actually have to trust another to fill in the gaps. And that's why Peter's first instinct was to bridge that gap and fill up that space with his own words. But when, what he was there for was not to hear his own words. What Peter needed that day were God's words. For he, to hear the actual voice of God thunder down on that mountain. But silence, when you're not talking, and solitude, when you've stepped away, makes you feel insecure because you can't offer anything. And that's the point of the gospel. The gospel is that you have nothing to offer. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He is the one filling the gap for us. Allow God and allow Jesus to be your voice. Walk into silence and walk into solitude, knowing that it's his voice that ultimately matters. Oftentimes I fill conversations trying to justify myself or convince other people of things. I'm filling the space trying to explain my position and those types of things. The silence and solitude will give us a healthy rhythm of when to speak and when not to speak. I talk for a living. That's what I do. I talk. I use a lot of words. A lot of words. Ask Nicole. A lot of words. I keep talking and talking and talking. You keep showing up. I keep talking, right? Talky, 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 right? But for me to have something to say, I first must say nothing. And that, if you want to catch me in any kind of unhealthy rhythm, it's the opposite of that. If I'm going to say anything at all, I must first not say a thing. 
but simply sit and dwell at the Father's feet and listen to him talk before I'm able to even usher one syllable into the space. And so you can call me, like, how's your rhythms? I have space and time with the Lord alone. And so how would we do this? Um, There's no prescription on how to walk into silence and solitude, really. But I know that some people like some practical things. First and foremost, uh, there's these small, small little moments of silence throughout your day that you need to take advantage of. You need to get up a little earlier, right? Before the birds start chirping, right? You just need to get up in the wee hours of the morning if you can before the kids get up and before the chaos starts and just kind of breathe a little, open your scriptures, those kinds of things. Take advantage of those those morning hours or for some of you, your night night owls. So you just need to take advantage of those those night hours, right? Turn off your TV and just sit and enjoy. So take small little silent retreats throughout your day. Um, I know for for me, my kids can find me in place that I can't. Like, it doesn't matter where I am in the house. My kids will find me. I can be in the attic, and three people are like, hey, Dad, what you doing up there? Like, I'm in the attic. I'm up here twice a year. And they're like, hey, what you doing, guys? So they're like, why is Daddy always in the bathroom? He goes to the bathroom a lot. It's because I've closed the door and locked it, and they can't find me in there, right? So you just create these little spaces where you're like, all right, that's what we do. It's like we go to the bathroom a lot at the Till House because we're trying to get away from the kids. Just kidding. No, I'm no offense, kids. Um, there's um, there's these, these commute times. Don't forget, on your way home from work, guys, is that you get 10 or 12, 15 minutes. Stop listening to NPR, right? Quit listening to the classic rock station. Like, turn it off. Spend a little time with the Lord. Maybe more intentionally is three or four times a year. Go and, like, block off a half a day and just detach. Tell your boss, hey, I can take a, you know, uh, whatever. I need an, uh, a couple of half days. And leave at lunch and go to 5 o'clock and, and, just, and just step away from your normal rhythm. Something that has been really beneficial to Nicole and I is at the beginning of each year, you know, late December, early January, we'll get together and we'll get our calendars out and we'll circle what we call a silent retreat or a solo retreat for both her and I. And for years now, we've been going to a cabin down by a river, right, with with very little Bible, pen, you know, journal, those kinds of things, listening to the Lord. We are healthier people. Our marriage is healthier because of just this a little, a few days of intentionality. And so whether it's small little moments or bigger chunks, we would encourage you to walk into this discipline of silence and solitude. The psalmist says this, and you can write down these words if you want to. The psalmist says, be still and know that I am God. So if you've got great memories, you can just stick it here, be still, and know that I am God. If you want to write it down, you can write it on your bulletins. But instead of just 60 seconds of just space where you're all looking at each other very uncomfortable, now fill that space with that one small psalm, be still, and know that I'm God. And then you can tell me how quickly that minute will go by. Because now you're dwelling in the presence of God, and underneath the truth of God. Be still and know that I'm God. 60 seconds.
Father, the world wants to crowd out your voice. And so does our heart. Father, we're not real sure what to do when we're in your presence alone and really have nothing to offer. So many of us have reduced our Christian walk with what we can produce for God. And we, like Peter, have wanted to do something for you. Or even Mary and Martha, or our rhythm is to do something for you. When in reality, we just need to sit at your feet every once in a while and listen to you speak to us for you to fill the void. The cross of Christ was the most lonely place on the planet. Jesus, for the first time of all eternity past, had a separation between he and God the Father. That's lonely. And yet, Jesus was found faithful. And upon resurrection, he is now seated on the right hand of the Father. And so Jesus has defeated the worst silence and the worst solitude that this world has ever known to give it back to us as a gift. I pray, Jesus, that we will enter into a season, maybe even a year, that will look very different from the past, where we are intentionally unplugging and walking away from our normal rhythms to hear from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the creator of all of this universe that wants to speak to us. Give us great creativity in a very busy world, Lord. Give us a way to be able to enjoy the silence. Help us to look forward to these times where it's just you and us. If you're new at Redstone, um, I'm here at a table. This is the table of remembrance. And um, every week we look at this table because this is where our identity is found. We like Peter. We like to build things and want to prove ourselves worthy. But this table is a reminder for all of us that it was Jesus and Jesus' work that we have to bring close to us. So close that Jesus uh, incorporated this Lord's table and he says, I actually want you to consume something. I want you to bring it into the inner being of you. Um, this morning, we would like for you to take this meal in complete silence and by yourself. And so in an exercise of silence and solitude for you, because you will stand before the Lord alone. We want you to wrestle with the Lord. Where is your identity? Is it in what you can build or what you can achieve? Or is it found in the person and work of Jesus? If you can come and you believe that mentally, yes, Jesus, you have done the great work. We want you to exit your seats. And there's, there's some men scattered around the room, four in each corner, and I'll be up here. And we'll be serving you a little piece of juice and a little piece of bread. We want you in silence and by yourself to come and take a pinch of bread or take some bread and juice 
and say, this is my identity. He's covered me fully and completely. So the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it. And he says, this is my body given for you. A picture of wholeness and and health and fun and, and those types of things and sustenance is actually now shattered for us. He then took a chalice of wine. I have grape juice here, but he took a chalice of wine. He says, this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. And so if you believe in Jesus this morning, his body given, his blood shed for us, come with great confidence to a host that asks you to come without price. He has paid it all for us. So go ahead and stand. Uh, We've got musicians that will play for a while as long as you need, but I would encourage you to take this meal in silence and solitude this morning.